Dave's Psych Lectures, part of the Thunderbird 6 Podcasting Network. Okay, so again, for the umpteenth millionth time. So you've got analysis of variance, you've got more than two groups. If you have two groups, you know which is what you know what, what's what, you know what group differs from one. If you have more than two groups, the question then is now. So you know the HL is mu1 equals mu2 equals mu3 equals dot 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 mu k. In the assignments case, you know equals mu4. That's the that's the number. But the alternative doesn't say mu1 is not equal to mu2. Which means differ from which means. That's the, it doesn't, analysis variance does not answer that question. It, it says our two means different. It doesn't say which two means are different. Yeah, sometimes you might say, I don't care, it's done. I have three control groups and an experimental group. I can look at the graph and the three control groups are down here, the experimental group's up here. If anybody tells you you have to go any further than that, punch them and say it's me. You don't have to. But usually that's not the case. You usually have more than, say, let's say you have three groups, four groups, and you don't know which is which, which is different. So one of the things you can do is you can do t-tests. So after you've done analysis, you can do a whole bunch of t-tests in essence. The problem is the alpha level goes up. The alpha level goes up. Because if you use 0.05 as your alpha level, Suddenly now, let's say you got three t-tested, and suddenly your alpha level's gone up from 0.05. It's not 0.05 anymore. If let's say you had 20, let's say you had like like seven or eight groups, then you're hitting like 20 t-tests, chances are you're gonna find one by random chance alone at 0.05, right? Uh-oh. So the Bonfer is called the Bonferroni correction, which sounds a lot like Eferoni, so it's delicious. Um, the Bonferroni procedure takes care of this. What it does is it takes one over n. 1 over n is the number of comparisons. Okay? Number of comparisons you're going to run. So let's say you're going to do 5 t-tests. It's 1 over 5 times alpha. Now alpha is 0.05. So now you end up with 0.01. Okay? That's one approach to do it. And that's a pretty common one. And there's nothing wrong with it. Um, the t-test really just looks a little bit different. It's called T prime, and it's x bar one minus x bar two, so that's the first one you're comparing, and the second one, whatever. And it's divided by the square root of two times the mean squared error over the number of subjects per group. Uh, note that that means the number of subjects per group should be equal. And you all, you should try to do that anyway. You should always try to do that. So what is that? Why? What? 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 Wait, think about a t-test. Think about a t-test, guys. Two sample t-tests. Bar one minus x bar two, all over the square root of that. Just variances. Well, we have two. We have a variance estimate. Mean square error. We've calculated it. And look, we're adding it up so we get two of them. Two mean square error. That's all. Nothing magic. Okay. Very simple. By the way, you wouldn't do this by hand. Once you've done the ANOVA on, say, SPSS, just, just check the little checkbox, and it says post box, or it might say comparisons, and I'm, sure, I'm not sure which, and it can just do it. 
what I, what I typically have done, though, in my career, if you've ever, ever done one of these post-hoc tests, um, this is also pretty easy to do. I have an e-squared error in front of me. I can, rather than run it again and click a box, this takes 30 seconds. It's not hard to do. Right? So that's, that's one approach. Do you see why this is sensible? Pretty simple, right? Now I know what group differs from what group. What the Bonferroni done, has done is it, it has lowered the alpha level. Here's another way to do it. There's lots of ways. It's called the studentized range. You calculate something called the Q statistic. I don't know why it's called the Q statistic. Right? That's what they call it. I'm never going to ask these formulas. Because they're reaches to all t-tests. I mean, they really are. This is all, look, it's almost the same, except we don't have two mean square error, we just have one mean square error. That's all, it's the only difference. <clears throat> and the corresponding test statistic is a T-like statistic, except it's just, it's changed a little bit such that, um, the critical values have changed a little bit. Let's just leave it. Okay. You could do the student, what's called the student Newman Cools test. Wait, what is this? Okay, look up in a table. This is how hard this is. Look up in a table the value, the critical value for Q with R comparisons. You can do R comparisons. So let's say you've got five comparisons. You look up five. And then with 0.05 and the degrees of freedom, the degrees of freedom is the number of subjects minus one. So you've got that, you multiply that number that you look up in a table times the square root of the mean square error over n. You get this value called W. So now, if any two, let's say you can get, let's say you calculate this, and the W ends up being 6. That means any two means that are different by 6 are significantly different. That's all it is. Again, no one does these by hand. This is one of the few slides that I have to look over them, look them over each uh, before I give this lecture because I don't know these formulas off by heart. Why should I? Right? That's all it does. So, oh, six. Okay, this means 18 and this means 12. Oh, that's, that's too bad. Sorry. 11 and a half. Let's make it 11 and a half so it's very clearly different by more, by, by more than six. You look at that and go, oh, those two are different. Done. They are significantly different. That's called a student Newman Cools or a student Newman Cools. Okay. Uh, there's another one version that's called Tukey's HSD. HSD stands for honestly significantly different. It's <laughs> a great title. Um, and all it does is it just uses the largest possible range. It just says, okay, there's four means. How many possible, four groups, how many comparisons are there? Six. I think it's six. If there's six possible comparisons, so just make it big, big as possible. That's a very, this, this is a very liberal kind of test. Very liberal kind of test. Very commonly used one. Okay. So two keys, Newman cools, studentized range, which it, that's where that comes from. That that, that distribution. Oh, there's also one called Chiffet, the Chiffet test. That is so conservative that sometimes that it often says you have no significant differences even though your analysis of variance is significant, which tells me that I don't want to ever use that test. 
It's called Shafay's LSD. Least significant difference. I don't, no one uses it. You never see someone in a paper say, then I did Shafay test. No, so why would you do that? You already found a significant effect, and then it's like, it might not even show up. So most people probably go with, uh, well, first of all, most people just do all of them and, and then find the one that fits their hypothesis. You shouldn't really do that. That's what most people probably do. Um, I would stick to the same one with the paper. <laughs> As a practical piece of advice, I wouldn't say, you know what I'll do, I'll just, uh, well, in this experiment, and then that's what I changed. And don't explain why you changed, don't do that. You'll, in fact, an editor, or if it's a thesis paper, your advisor will go to that, you can't do that. It's not like you can just change what weapon you're using in the middle of a fight, like it's Assassin's Creed or something. You can't do that. But if you have quick draw. Well, that doesn't matter. Can't do that. Don't do it. Especially the newer ones because you can't pause and change. You have to do it on the fly. Sorry. So I stick to one of the paper. Um, I've usually used HSD. It's it's the one that it's it's pretty liberal, but it's not too liberal. <coughs> so that's the one I come with. All right. Questions on that? Does that make sense what we've done here? All you've done is you've determined which two needs are different. You've got a pack. Because all, all Alison Brain says is that two of them are different. I don't know which two they are. I don't know which two they are. There is a school of thought that I have some sympathy with, which is why are you using Alison Brain if you care about just one mean being different from another set of means? Why don't you just do a t-test in the first place? And I have some sympathy for that argument. Um, I've often said to people, students will say to me, well, I want to do post-hoc comparisons now. I'll say, why? Look, we're interested in the pattern in your data. Look, the pattern in your data shows that exactly what we expected. Why not just stop now? There's no reason to make it more complicated. But mine, mine by the way, is a minority view. Um, I'll say that. It should be clear about that. All right, questions about that? That's pretty straightforward, right? Yeah, no problem.
So let's talk about transforming your data. Yes. Okay. Um, sometimes we look down at our, the first thing you should always do is exploratory data. This should be something, we talked about that earlier in the course, always really just get a feel for your numbers. Get means and standard deviations and maybe a few graphs. You just quickly draw on even by hand. It doesn't matter how you do it. It's for your own edification so you get a feel for your numbers. And usually, the, the, then the stats, you do the stats, it's like, oh, that's exactly what I thought. I, my graph looks like this, and I got a significant F, yay. Right? My uh, PhD supervisor, Sarah Shuttleworth, always said statistics are there to prove what you already know. You should have been looking at your data enough that you have a feel for it, and you can look at it and say, oh, I see. I know what happened. Chickadees are like this, and jungles are like this. Okay, but sometimes you do the ANOVA and you get nothing. You don't get a significant F. It's like, well, what happened? Most likely thing is a violation of an assumption. We talked about the other day about what would, would, would you be troubled at all by an F that's less than one? And if it's a lot less, it shouldn't be possible. But if you violate an assumption pretty severely, you might get an F less than one. But even if you violate an assumption severely, and you don't get an F less than one, but you get a non-significant F when you look at the data and go, come on. These are different. Right? The nice thing is, by the way, violating assumptions makes your test more conservative, not more liberal. You don't make false positives, but you miss stuff that's really there. You don't want that to happen. So the most common thing is that it's a violation of homogeneity variance. It's almost always with it. Um, first of all, you're not going to violate independent observations because you can look at that with design. That's the first thing. Secondly, um, it's unlikely to be a problem with random sampling or the, the distribution of errors around uh, the mean because, frankly, those don't hurt too much when you, you can violate the crap out of the ANOVA with those assumptions. Homogeneity variance you can violate to a point, but at some point it breaks. Ooh, for transition time. <laughs> so what can be done? Well, we can transform our data. Basically, we're doing some sort of mathematical operation. I talk, we talked a lot earlier in the course about adding a constant to a distribution or multiplying times a constant. That's a transformation. Adding a constant is not going to do anything to your variance, so who cares? Multiplying by a constant will. So what you're going to do is some sort of mathematical operation on all the numbers. You can do it the same to all of them. You can't just say... Oh, well, uh, I'll just add five to all the low ones. <laughs> that's, that's called cheating. That's different. We're going to do the same thing to all of them. Some people will tell you that it's not fair, you can't do that, and it is fair. Um, and it's fair because all you're doing is re-expressing units. All you're doing is re-expressing your units, right? You're just changing the units of measure. And we do this all the time. I know the first assignment you guys had... Uh, remember to change the distribution. You were changing it from uh, centimeters to inches or whatever, inches to centimeters. I can't remember. I don't care. As we live in a border city, we hear American uh, with radio stations and TV stations that we don't have TV stations. We're doing. Um, they have TV stations across the river, but they don't come in on cable, so I don't want them. Um, but on the radio, you'll hear like the weather, and they'll talk about the wind speed in miles per hour and kilometers per hour. They'll talk with the temperature in Celsius and in Fahrenheit. They'll do both. And they're both right. 
There's nothing wrong with Fahrenheit. Mm -hmm. You know, it's perhaps a little intuitively not very pleasing that water boils at 212 degrees, but whatever. We should use we should be using kelvins anyway. Real zero point. Right. The cold one up there today, it's 253. Um, but it would make it sound warm. It's cold out, it's you know, but really cold would be hundred. That's that's like that's like cold like on Mars. So just change the units. There's nothing wrong with doing Okay? So it's not something you, that should scare you or anything like that, or you think like you're sort of cheating, because you're not. <coughs> so the first we'll talk about is a log transformation. We're going to take the logarithm of number. Do you know what logarithms are? Who doesn't know what a logarithm is? Put your hand up. I'll, I can teach you in 45 seconds. Mm-hmm. You don't remember? That's good. Okay, that's fine. Let's admit it. Okay. I'm going to do log base 10 because it's easy. I can do it in my head. I can't do but well, some log base e, but not very many. So let's do log base 10. So the log of 10 is 1. Right, log 10, let me do it here. Uh, 100 is 2. That's 5. 10 to the 5th. 10 squared, 10 to the 1. That's all it is. Some of you are just looking at your face, I remember learning that in grade 10, but it went away. And now it's back. It's a logarithmic scale. We have logarithmic scales in psychology. Decibels are logarithmic scales. Right? 70 decibels is 10 times louder than 60 decibels. Right, 130 decibels, which is right at the, 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 the threshold of, of pain, is 10 times louder than 120 decibels, which is really, really loud. 140 decibels, which is working around jet engines, will actually perforate your eardrum. 130 just hurts a bit. 130, if you've been to a concert standing next to a PA, you've had 130. Right. 140, it actually, your ears explode. Like it, Ear protection. Place against the airport with the ear protection. So what's that going to do? It's going to take down big numbers. Do you understand what logarithms are? Now you get it. You do log base five, log base. You know we actually don't hardly ever use log base ten. It's used sometimes. It's used in decibels, for example. Um, if you look back, you took neuropharmacology with me, and I had that nice straight line between uh, D two binding efficiency and L, uh, ED fifty of uh, antipsychotic drugs. It's actually a logarithmic scale. If you look closely at these log scales. A lot of things in nature are logarithmic. It's just pretty common. Reaction times logarithmic. Reaction time in fatigue. Reaction time in alcohol drink. Straight up, but we can turn that into a straight line. That's all it does. It takes an exponential curve and turns it into a straight line. This is going to take, pulls down big numbers way much, way more than it pulls down small numbers. That's what it's going to do. So exponential curves like reaction times, as I mentioned. So if you've got four groups of people and they're different amounts of alcohol drank, okay, and you're going to get a curve that looks like a graph that's like bang, 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 and the variances are going to be way bigger because the means are so much bigger, right? 
Oh, the problem is you can't take a logarithm of a negative number. That's an issue. Okay. Uh, or zero. The logarithm of zero is undefined. It doesn't exist. So what you do, you get something that's below zero, just add a constant to all the numbers. So let's say the lowest number you got is minus five. Just add 10 to all of them, then take the logarithm. It's perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. Um, so it's log of x plus k. <clears throat> You typically probably wouldn't use the log. You would use the, the uh, what's called the lawn, which is the calculator. It'll say that, ln, which is just the log of the base of, the, uh, of base e. He's a mathematical constant. It's like pi x plus pi x e. 2.71828-ish. And it's just, it's called natural logarithm because a lot of things in nature, um, just like, you know, High, important in nature, so is E. Okay. Questions? Okay. Sir? You got a question? Yes. yes. Um, I was wondering, like, when you're adding the constant, are you adding it so it's high enough to make the number a positive number? Exactly. Okay. Make the lowest plus, to make the lowest number a positive number. Yeah. Just as long as it's not zero. Yep. Anything else? Other See, you all learned it in high school and you thought it's never going to come up again. Ah, you're wrong. Okay. So you might do that with something that you look at the data and you go, wow. Does that. It's way up. Probably a logarithmic transformation. Square root. I'm not even going to tell you why. <laughs> but with counted data, so how many of? A lot of times you get a problem with counted data that you get uh, variance get screwed up. So what you do is you take the square root. Why is that? It's because the means end up being proportional to the variances. With counted data, you oftentimes get, it's just one of those things, you end up with means that are proportional to the variances. What square roots do um, is they take care of that problem. You might add a constant first again, because uh, like Christina said, you don't want negative numbers or uh, for your loss You don't want, you can't take squares of negative numbers, but you can, you get imaginary numbers, and that's not going to help anybody. So, did you know that square root of negative one is i, the, an imaginary number? Because use a lot of electronics, I guess, which is kind of cool. It's a pretend number, Christina? Could you, like, would you do the log first and then? No. No. First. No, you would always add first if you would say log or, or square root, because you can't take the logarithm of a number less than zero. It just can't be done. Mathematically impossible. And you can't take the square root of a number less than zero. Right? You can, but you get imaginary numbers, and they're of no use to anybody except people that design circuits and physicists and stuff. Magic people. Wizards. So I had a constant. Again, nothing wrong with doing that. Reciprocal. Just flip the number over. Now, all you, so the reciprocal of five is one fifth. Reciprocal, reciprocal of a half is two. Reciprocal of two thirds is three, three halves. Right? That's just reciprocal. He's flipping the numerator denominator. Makes the range smaller, so the variance gets smaller. This is great with latencies. So if you get time, 
So you're looking at how long it takes a rack to run a maze, for example, or a person to complete a task. This may, in fact, uh, Josh Havilly's owner's thesis, he's looking at latencies as one of the variables, and I imagine we're going to have to do this. And all it is, you're turning time, you're turning it into speed. If we said, how long does it take to drive to Sudbury? And I said, three and a half hours. If I just take that and flip it over, it's, it's, a, it's an estimate of speed, isn't it? Because it's, remember, it's kilometers per hour, not hours per kilometer. So it's just flip it over. Flipping it over. This works really well with latency. Just turning speed into uh, sorry, time into speed. It's it's really nothing magical. Arc sign. This gets weird. How many people here remember their 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 trigonometry? Don't worry. Curious. Can you teach that anymore? Good. Good. It's cool. Trigonometry is actually really neat. It's like, it's like geometry, it's like like analytical geometry, you know, like the angle side, angle theorem, and all that stuff. I love that stuff. It's like a puzzle. That was neat math. You're all looking at me like there's something wrong with me, aren't you? <coughs> or it's more evidence thereof, I guess is the... It's the arc sign. Okay, this is with proportions. Proportions, percentages, that kind of thing. Um, what are the problems with proportions? So it's like, it's more like, if you've got a, a score, on average in a group where most people are at 100%, there's not very much variance, or at 90%, there's not going to be much variance there. Or at 10%, not much variance there. But at 50%, just think about this intuitively, let's talk about it mathematically, but at 50%, it can be wildly all over the place. So scores in the middle have fatter variance and scores at the top or the bottom. We want something that's, that leaves those small variances alone and sucks the one in the middle down to the size of those two small ones. Because think about it. If we've got an average of 90, so you get 90% correct, there's not very many people that got 10% in that group, or 50% in that group, but they're mostly right around 90. What about 10% correct? Not, no, they all say right around 10. But around 50, you can be all over the place and just average up to 50. So you have this really fat variance in the middle and these tiny little variances at the top. We've got to do something about that. And the nice thing is arc sign takes care of that. So it stretches out both tails to pull the middle flatter. It's actually, you don't just do the arc sign. You do two times the arc sign square root of the number. So you take the square root of the number, you multiply, you take the arc sign of the value to the square root of, and multiply it times two. Because that works. <coughs> so if the idea of sucking the, the, the whole thing out, pulling it like that, stretching it out to flatten out the middle makes some sense, that's good. If it doesn't, I am you are Catholic and I am Pope Dave the First. And I'm speaking on a matter of dogma. Nothing? No. I, I, Catholics. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I imagine the present Pope would like that job. He seems like an okay guy. Okay. Yep. So you're, sh are you stretching out all the numbers or are you stretching out the percentages? What you're, what you're basically doing is you have a distribution that looks like 
the distribution scores. averages. They look something like this, okay? The thing is, you get the same number uh, that's a bad drawing, actually, I shouldn't do it that way. Okay, these are variances. These aren't scores, but they all, okay? That's what I'm drawing here. The thing is, in the middle, yeah, actually, let's look at this. That's better. Okay, this is variance from, the, there's the mean along that axis. These are where the scores are. There's the same number of scores within this weird shape that looks like lips um, at any given point. So you're going to see you get a lot more variance in the middle than you get at the extremes. Does that make sense? Now what I want to do is I want to find something mathematically where I can just pull this over here and pull this way over here. So I get something that looks more like this. That's better. Now the variance is the same. And that's what this does. <clears throat> that's what that does. You okay? <laughs> no, you have a good way to say it. Does that make sense what I said there? We're doing that. Pull it. Stretch it out. That's what 2 times the arc sine square root does. You will take a picture of that. Put it on a because that might help. Okay. I've used that one. I've used that one before. Uh, and I remember a couple years ago, somebody's honors thesis, she came back to my office, and I wouldn't say she was crying, but she was very upset. Because it's like, this looked like it worked, and it didn't. Why didn't we get a significant F? And I said, oh, it's proportions. Yeah, yeah. Go do two times the arc sine square root transformation, it'll fix it. Mickey. But why is, how is that not... Yeah. How's it not cheating? Yeah, how's that not cheating? How is Celsius okay and Fahrenheit okay? I don't know how. They're both the same. They're measuring the same thing. They're just using different scales. Yeah. Yeah, that's all this is. But well, like scale. you're manipulating the data. No. I'm changing the way I measure it. It's a difference. I'm changing the scale. I'm going from inches to centimeters. I'm going from Fahrenheit to Celsius. Okay. Yeah. That's all I'm doing here. Yeah, because if I, no, like I said, if I said what we're going to do is we're just going to subtract numbers from the ones in the middle to suck it all down, that's cheating. Right. That's different. But yeah, I'm just re expressing it. I'm just changing the units. Christina. Could people that have done it as an Do you mean transform it like we're talking about here? Yeah. Or do you mean like cheat? What's what? Well, like, this data like naturally has variations. Of course it has variation. Even we, if it's not... We like variance. Variance is our friend. Yeah. So can someone do that to make their like, project look better? Mm, not... So you're saying it's almost like can someone torture the data enough so they'll tell you anything? That kind of thing? Yeah. Not really. Um... It's not the case that if something's not there, you're not going to find it. If something's there, this helps you find it. But it doesn't mean that... Because all we're doing here is changing, changing the units. It's all we've done. We still, the thing we measure is still the same. Can this be used as a way to cheat? Is basically what you're asking, right? And no, not really. Not really. All this is doing is it's fixing violation, a violation of the assumptions that I know 
It's a very good question you're asking because that's, and I think Mickey was feeling the same way, a little bit uncomfortable about this because it's like, it sounds like you're just playing with numbers until it works. It's not what you're doing. You're re-expressing them. Celsius and Fahrenheit. Canadian dollars and American dollars. Right? Uh, Euros and pounds. Right? What if you you changed, or go through the transformations and it still doesn't... Then you'd found nothing. Oh. (laughs) Oh yeah, then you found nothing. Tom, you had a question. So can we not, so we can't really over-transform data then? Well, I guess if you just kept changing, eventually they're all going to turn out to be zero or something. I don't know if you did all of them. So um, like, but when trying to look for something, we should really transform it as much as we can. No, that's not what you should do. Okay. You should try to find them. There are rules. There, I wouldn't say, well, this next slide kind of answers it. Okay. We'll see if this, <laughs> let's see if the slide answers it. If not, we can keep talking about this. When do you transform your data? You know, just always transform your data. It's like, I got numbers. Hey, let's uh, add 17 to them and take the logarithm and then, I don't know, pee on them. See what happens. <laughs> no, that's not going to work. It's, I guess you could. I don't know why you'd do that, but you could. I don't know why I threw in the weird part about peeing on your data. Um, I've had data that I felt like, I've had data that's on fire. Um, I was determined in work, wasted six months of my life, nothing there. Burned it. What are you gonna do? It's, it's totally useless data. Yeah, I had it in my office for a couple of years. Why am I keeping this? Just taking up space on pages. Throw in the fireplace. So you don't always transform your data. Now, it's with the, when the variances are messy, that's when you can often transform data and fix that violation of an assumption. This is a way to. These are all ways to fix violations of the homogeneity of variance assumption. That's what these things do. They are not magic. Right? And if something's not there, no matter how much you transform it, you're not going to get something. I've given you some rough guidelines to pick which transformation to use. You could also Google this. Uh, there's all kinds of nice uh, sort of resources online. Um, or a good advanced statistics textbook. Will tell you. I don't think our book has stuff on this. I think I pulled yeah I pulled this out of my like master's and PhD or stats book, but it's stuff you should know. Um, but basically, if it's latencies, you're going to probably do reciprocal. If it's reaction time, you do log. If it's proportions, two times the arcsine square root. But there are times. Well, let me finish my, my point here. If your data don't violate assumptions, you don't transform the data. It means if the data don't violate the assumptions and you look at it and you got no effect, you've just got no effect. Your experiment didn't work. Move on. Maybe light your stuff on fire. Just move on. Have a career. Stop whining. Fix it. Um, you always present untransformed data. You never present transformed data to people. You tell in the text and in your talk or something, you transform your data. But I don't know. Like, I know if I say percentage of words were called, if 100% is perfect, 0% is awful, 50% if we got yes or no, let's say it's recognition, it's chance. That's easy. I understand that. I don't know what 2 times the arcsine square root of 100 is. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't literally don't know what it is. I guess you could probably present uh, logarithmic transformed reaction times because it's so common. That's about it, though. Go ahead. Yeah. 
What does it mean when the variance is messy? Messy meaning that they aren't the same. Oh. Uh, they should be roughly the same. And, and messy, as a rule of thumb, is one's four times bigger than another. Uh, that's usually at the point where the, the math falls apart. Oh, that's important. Um, I'm trying to figure out Okay, every time, so is it every time that they, um, you don't find an effect? Does that mean no. you violate assumption? No, no, because a lot of times you don't find an effect because there's nothing there. Yeah. But if you look at it, it's especially when you look at data and you go, I know this group is doing better than this group. Why the hell does it, go, does it show up? Let's say you have something like this. You do exploratory data analysis. You've made some graphs. Right? So you've got a graph. Looks like this. Wow, that looks good. Yay, we need error bars, right? there's no effect here. These all overlap with each other. But the means are different. Like, they're really different. But, but look at that. The means are proportional, or the variances are kind of proportional to the means. As the, variant, the means get bigger, the variances get bigger. I don't know. Sounds to me like a job for square root man. Where is house? You think the square root number any time is head. Excelsior! So, In this case, you'd be like, yeah. Now, on the other hand, if these variances were not so wildly different, so if we had three groups that were pretty different, oh no, that's not good. That's not good. Didn't work. Done. Move on. Try to experiment. Actually, it probably would work. I think the one on the left is probably different from the one on the right, but it's pretty close. Move on. Okay? So it's when you violated the homogeneity of variance assumption, that's when you transform data. But I'll tell you something. I had my PhD supervisor said to me with one of my experiments, oh, geez, it would have been um, experiment seven of my PhD thesis. It's hanging up on the outside. It's called Broadbeck and Shuttleworth, two of those experiments, 1995. Two of those are from my PhD thesis. And she said, you should transform these. I said, why? And she said, isn't that what you do with proportions? I said, when you don't get effects and it looks like they're different, yes. But why should I do it now? Well, it makes it more complicated. I've got to explain it in the paper. And there's one thing I know more of than Sarah, and it's one thing, and it's statistics. And she said, okay. But that, I mean... I got lucky that it worked out that way, that I found the effect without having to transform it, because it's just easier to talk about. Because like if I show these data at a conference and someone says, yeah, the error bars all, all overlap, how the hell did you find significant difference? Oh, I tried to transform it. Oh, okay. Right? So it's not the case that you always transform your data, but it is something that you can do to fix a specific set of problems. All right? Okay, we're done.
that the light showed it. I guess it's front row. Wait, watch, you'll see. And if you say.
This podcast is released under a Creative Commons copyright share like 2.5 Canada. Uh, feel free to redistribute the information as you see fit, but please don't make any money out of it. And if you do, you got to tell me because I'm reserving that right. Giving up all the other ones, including uh, mash it up any way you want, okay? Um, also, of course, give me attribution. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is dave.broadbeck, B-R-O-D-B-E-C-K, at algomau.ca. My website is people.auc.ca slash broadbeck slash blog. Uh, most of the music, uh, all the music's Podsafe, and most of it comes from GarageBand.com or the Podsafe Music Network. See you next time.